peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We are going to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts chapter 12. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, some from the church. So um, the some from the church are the disciples. It's the newly formed Christian church. Uh, now that Jesus has uh, left the earth, he's left the building. And um, but the disciples are gone out on their own now to spread the message. Uh, and now other characters have been introduced who are not some of the original apostles, uh, disciples, um, and they've taken um, prominent roles since the beginning of the book of Acts. Herod, it must be a different Herod than the King Herod who was mentioned during the Gospels because that Herod died around the nativity time. So um, presumably this is a different one. Uh, so those are the people we're talking about. Verse 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So um, James and John were one of the two of the original apostles, disciples. So it seems James is the next uh, martyr, Christian martyr, at least in the Bible. Um, first one was another person named Stephen. Um, so anyway, Herod has done the death penalty on James. Verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So the same Peter, Simon Peter, the one of the original disciples of Jesus, um, he's also now been uh, taken into custody, it seems, arrested. Um, and it says during the days of unleavened bread, that's the same Passover holiday celebrated in modern times. Verse 4. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So similar to the same way they didn't want to have an uproar during the Passover when they crucified Jesus. Sounds like that's the same thing they're doing with Peter, keeping him in custody and then intending to do something with him, deal with it after the holiday. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So the scribe, whoever it is, is passing on the book of Acts to us. Probably Luke, um, the same author of the book of Luke, um, is letting us know that there were uh, prayer vigils, it seems, uh, for Peter and his safety and probably his release while uh, he was locked up. Verse 6. And notice how now the word church is being introduced more and more. It wasn't in the Old Testament at all. It didn't really exist in the Gospels very much. But once um, after the ascension, then the word church and the idea of it instead of temples and synagogues, now it's a church being the place of worship being mentioned more constantly, consistently. Verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So he was securely under guard, even chained to the guards physically. Peter was, that is. Verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly his chains fell off his hands. So, just like that, Peter's getting another miracle. He experienced some 
during the ministry with Jesus. Now he's getting one, uh, getting freed from being locked up even, unshackled from the guards even holding him, um, and being led out to an escape. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So when it says gird yourself, it's basically like put your clothes on, get dressed and um, sandals, put your shoes on too. He's having to do them like a kindergartner, having to get him dressed and get him told him to get ready and get going. It's urgent. Verse nine. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So um, Peter doesn't think he's asleep because he doesn't think it's a dream. He thinks he's seeing a vision like he might appear hallucinating or drunk, um, you know, or some sort of substance that might make you see things. Seems he thinks he's just imagining it and seeing things and it can't possibly be real, that someone has loosed him from his cuffs from the soldiers and told him to get dressed and uh, ushered him out of jail. He can hardly believe it, so he thinks he's imagining it. And it kind of brings to mind the whole Sodom and Gomorrah um, narrative. When the angels, according to that narrative, showed up to try to lead the people who they were trying to rescue from the city and its destruction, um, and basically had to hold them by the hands, like kindergartners, and force them to get it together and get ready and go urgently because something terrible was at hand. Uh, it, I don't know, that just came to mind seeing how they're having to deal with Peter the same way. Verse 10, or similarly, when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. Wow, that's amazing. So Peter got a divine assistance to get freed from jail, ushered out of the city to safety. Uh, and then the angel's gone, just like that. That's pretty amazing. And notice how different it is from the account that um, Saul says that he had before he went through the name change with Paul of the um, light shining and a message being given to him. And in one case, the other people there not seeing anything, but hearing it. And in another telling of it, they heard something, but didn't see anything. So it's inconsistent. Not me saying it, it's how it read. But look at how and how different it is when the different divine encounters happen with Peter. Other people are involved in it, and then they're even uh, basically summoned by the Spirit, at least according to the way it reads, to go and uh, rendezvous. And the other people are already informed on it, too. And this was before we had technology that we know of to arrange something like that. So those sort of things will affirm the faith of all involved. Whereas with someone like what Saul says he had, had happened with him, Saul, Paul, whichever one you prefer, there were no witnesses to it. And it's just his word on it. And it contradicts the message of what Jesus told us. So to me, what we're seeing, part of what we're seeing in the book of Acts so far is maybe an exercise for us to understand the difference between um, divine things from God and divine things from some other place. Remember, Jesus tells us in the Gospels that false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. So let's keep reading. 
maybe Peter's being deceived doesn't seem like it because he's gotten freed from the, his imprisonment and laid out of the town. Whereas Paul or Saul, whichever, was um, stricken with blindness. And then according to the, what it reads, did never fully recover from the uh, eye injury. Why would God do that? That this doesn't sound like God to me. But we're just reading it to understand it. So let's keep reading. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So Peter's realizing now after the divine occurrence of being rescued from prison by an angel even, um, that God is on his side, basically. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So uh, I think this is a Mark, the book of Mark is um, named for. And yet another Mary. This is at least the third Mary. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. And now there's this other Mary, very common name. Not sure why, though. I don't recall. I'm sure there's something historically, someone who was famously named Mary, that all these people are named Mary, and then the other names also. But it, it seems strange that suddenly there's all these same names. Whereas in the Bible, before this period, you don't see these names at all. At least I didn't notice them. Um, verse um, 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. So um, Peter has been freed. He's gone back to um, share the news with the disciples. And we have another new character, Rhoda, just like from the Bad Seed, being introduced here um, into the narrative. Verse 14. And she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So she, the woman, Rhoda, so excited that she sees Peter um, free after knowing he'd been locked up unjustly, um, at least the way it seems. She's so excited she doesn't even open the door to let him in. She goes, runs back to tell everybody else that he's free, that he's there. Verse 15, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. So the girl is so uh, worked up at the fact that Peter has showed up there, she's gone to relate a message to the rest of the disciples. They think she's out of her mind um, with delusion, I guess, thinking, how can he possibly be free? They know he's been arrested and even probably know that he's securely locked up so that he can't get free. And yet she's saying otherwise. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So Peter, still waiting to get in, kept knocking, and now they've opened to him, and now they're amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So um, Peter's telling him, keep it on the low. Don't get too excited. Don't get too loud that he's free. Um, but go and share the message with uh, James. So I'm guessing this is not the same James that was martyred that we read about at the beginning of this chapter. So most likely it's the brother of Jesus, James. 
um, that he's going to tell it to, or could be a whole other James. Verse uh, 18, then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. So now uh, the sun is up and the soldiers are there and they probably still got the cuffs on them, but the prisoner is gone. So there's enough for verse 18. I'm sorry, that was 18, verse 19. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So Herod, um, not pleased that the soldiers not guarding the prisoner uh, successfully, gives them the death penalty too, kills them, and he goes on about his business to another area. Verse 20, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, for they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So the people are willing to have peace because they're hungry. Just like in uh, modern times, people will fight wars and stuff uh, all around the world but then not be so concerned with feeding the people who they're supposedly fighting for. They'll let the people starve and go without housing even. And it's not just now, it happens again and again and again, all around the world, not really pressed on the food. But then when there is food, when there is relief to the places, suddenly even the supply of food becomes the target or they'll target the people delivering it or target the food supply and get it and toss it out so the people can't ever get to it or hoard it and share it among the terrorists who are running things. All sorts of wickedness. Um, but you see, it's nothing new. The people back there, we're reading about in verse 20, also know they need food. So make peace if you have to, so that you can eat. Just makes sense. Verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. So now he's giving a sort of State of the Union speech to the people. Here it is. Verse 22. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. So the people are um, kissing his rump, giving him praises, just like they do the previous president, even though he's not in power. They don't do things like have a debate or have a debate, but don't have him there. And still, it's just madness. And But it's how it is. They're doing it on both sides. <laughs> They're giving the American citizens two crappy choices to choose from, whether they want it on the Democratic side or the Republican side. It's a, it's a, it's a stinky choice to give people. And in, in fact, it seems like they're both on the same side because the Democrats said nothing's going to fundamentally change, and it didn't, and told a bunch of lies to the people who voted for him to get into office and then didn't do any of it. And the Republicans did the same thing. The previous Republican president did the same thing made a bunch of promises about building a wall, about better health care, cheaper health care, about locking her up. He didn't do any of those things, didn't focus on any of those things, but instead focusing, focused on making money for himself and his family. And all of it was completely overlooked and allowed to continue because he had the right complexion. Like I said again and again, if he were dark skinned, it would have been shut down as soon as he said he grabs people by the, there would have been cuffs on his hands, just like Peter. It would have been over then. But because he's not black, years now have gone by, even since January 6th, and people are still being rounded up from that. 
three people from Florida or, or were rounded up as fugitives just here in Florida just, I think, just a couple of days ago from January 6th. So, you know, that wouldn't happen if they were black. If they were black, everyone in that crowd on January 6th would have been rounded up, if not mowed down and killed instantly or even bombed like the Black Wall Street. I'm not making any of that up. You can look it up and see for yourself. It's history. It's American history bombing its own citizens because they are dark skinned. It's wickedness. Back to here, verse 22. And the people kept shouting, giving him praise. Verse 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. So it sounds like something out of a horror movie like Hellraiser. Instantly, he's getting instant karma for, um, his hubris, it seems, his pride, and letting the people give him credit for being a god, even though he didn't do that. That's what the people were doing. Why wouldn't the people get, get struck for doing it and being idolatrous and giving praise to someone other than God? Yet, yeah, that's not how it went. Pilate, and, Herod, excuse me, instead got struck down and killed. And it seems in an instant, worms popped up and ate him like hellraising. Verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. So even though those crazy events are happening with arrests and being miraculously freed, with people saying they were being stricken with blindness in the desert and seeing Jesus, who they'd never said, seen before, and having a message that's different from Jesus, all those different things um, are going on. But it's not stopping the word from being spread. And I think that's the ultimate... Um, idea and goal even behind um the false prophets the false christians um uh spreading the word because it, it's still planting the seed even like i said before people may forget the seed of knowing there's god from whatever other religion whatever other source whatever other thing happens in their life to let them know hey there's a god and then whether they feed that seed and make it grow or not that's up to them you know in other circumstances of life um, but people get that seed there from lots of different places. And then whether it grows and bears fruit or not is a whole other story. So I think that that seed planting is what even Saul, Paul, whoever else saying they're Christian and going with another message is about. It's still a way of exposing people to the idea that there's, there is a God. There's a way to get to God that be Christ. And there's a way to get to Christ that's these red letters although these aren't direct letters. Um, just my understanding of what's happening. Verse um, 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So now Barnabas and Saul and Mark are now together. And this reminds me of quite a few things, but it reminds me of how Certain churches in modern times um, will gather young boys, but also young girls. But in America and around the world, certain churches will gather the children to molest them and take them around to molest them and groom them. It's sick, but that's what they do. And in the case of what we're reading about here with Saul and um, Mark and, um, and Barnabas, it reminds me of what Jesus says. He says that, um, woe to the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because they'll travel. And remember, Saul is a Pharisee. They'll travel land and sea to win one proselyte. That's to 
to um, convert one person to um, show some one person the light. But then when they do, they make them twice as much as son of hell as themselves, meaning they're converting people in their thinking, but not to someplace righteous. They're converting people, convincing people of something wicked. Um, so that's what it calls to mind to me. Verse 25. But verse 25 was also the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we're in this part of the reading. Um, and so that we get our red letters in. If you want, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 5. So we'll get our um, red letter dose of the day. And then we'll do our passage of the day before we wrap it up. So um, we're at chapter 5. We've done A. Beatitudes, we've done B, believers are salt and light. We've done C, Christ fulfills the law. So now we're up to section D, murder begins in the heart. So if you want to read along with me, it's Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. So let's take them bit by bit. Um, verse 21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So what Jesus is doing here is reflecting back on what we call the Old Testament, the books of Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. I don't know those by heart. I know them because there's footnotes here on the website. Um, so that's what Jesus is referring to about thou shalt not murder, one of the big Ten Commandments. And um, what's going to happen? Well, let's just read it and take it bit by bit. And so the, the, the commandment is thou shalt not murder. And if you do, you're in danger of the judgment is what Jesus is saying. The understanding of that commandment is. Verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So look at what's being said. Let's take it bit by bit. First, with verse 21, we're being told about the commandment, thou shalt not murder. That's killing somebody, taking someone's life. So some preachers will try to uh, split hairs and try to break down the definition of murder. And they'll even go to other languages and say, it, and say how it means. It's translated from the word bonyance, which is criminal homicide and all of that. Okay, fine. If you want to believe all of that, believe it. But what is Jesus saying in verse 22 is, it doesn't have to take bloodshed at all, whether it's self-defense or cold-blooded murder, if you're even angry with someone without a cause. So, like, you don't like someone's skin color, or you don't like someone's sexual preference, or you don't like the way someone wears their hair, or you don't like someone because it's Tuesday. Whatever the case may be, if you're angry with someone without a cause, that's the thing. That's as good as murder. That's as good as getting you the same judgment that the murder would have gotten you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's not me saying it. Jesus is saying, if you're even angry with someone without a cause, you're in danger of that same judgment. Danger of hell fire if you call somebody a fool. And then Raka, I don't know what that means. Um, clearly, I think I did, I did research it before. I think it means uh, hopeless. If you tell someone that there's basically they're hopeless, there's no hope for their salvation there there's no way they're going to make it to hell or to heaven or something like that along those lines i think that's what raka means that their soul has no hope um so to me that throws out the whole 
trying to figure out whether it's self-defense or whether it's, um, I'm sorry, whether it's um, homicide or whether it's unintentional manslaughter or whatever. Jesus is saying if you're even angry with someone without a cause, it's the same punishment. So regardless, so it, I mean, if you shed some blood, then obviously you, it seems to me you'd definitely be in danger of the same judgment. Even hellfire, even though some preachers will try to tell you hell doesn't exist, Jesus himself is telling us, yeah, hell does exist. And he told us in Luke 16, hell does exist. And some of those same preachers will try to say Luke 16 is a parable. No place, in no place in the Bible that I know of, does Jesus give a parable and then give names to the people in the parable. In Luke 16, Jesus specifically names the, uh, mentions two people. And one of them gets a name. The poor man gets a name, Lazarus. Why would Jesus give a parable? whether it's the parable of the fig tree or the parable of the prodigal son or any other parable. He doesn't give the characters names because they're parables. That's not a parable in Luke 16 where the rich man ends up burning in hell. It's not a parable, even though some preachers will try to tell you that. It's always believe what you want. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So now Jesus is saying, here's how we walk the Christian walk. When it comes to trying to do good things for God, taking offerings to the church, to your religious place, making donations. When you go to do that, but you remember along the way that you've offended your brother. You've done something wrong to your brother. So while you're on your way to go do something good for God, and you remember you've actually wronged a human that you can see. While you're on your way to go praise a God you can't see. When you remember that. Verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is making it clear there what our priority priority is to be. It's still make your offering to God. Leave it there so that you won't change your mind about that or that goes somewhere else. I'm not sure if that's the reason why, but Jesus is saying that's what you do. Leave the God offering there. So still make your um spiritual gift offering but first before you deal with that first go and be reconciled to your brother so that means if you need to apologize apologize if you need to clear the air clear the air but um don't think that you're gonna say you love someone you can't see when you hate someone you can't um or love someone you can't see but you hate someone you can even your own brother um verse 25 agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your, your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown in the prison. So again, preachers will twist this to say that if somebody tells you some BS um, religious idea while you're traveling with them, just say yeah and agree with it along. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling us here the value of, um, of compromise, of um, settlement. Think court cases. I think that's what Jesus is referring to. If you're being taken to court with someone, try to settle before it ends up against you fully. You don't have to even think of uh, hard for this. Think criminal cases. If you take a plea deal, you get a softer sentence, generally speaking. Now, if you have a certain complexion, you don't have to take a plea deal, and you could still go through a trial and still get a softer sentence. That doesn't happen to black people, but if you have the right complexion in America, it can definitely happen. It happens all the time. The previous president has nearly 100 
charges against him and still gets bonds and is still out raising money because he has the right complexion. Ask Bill Cosby. Ask O.J. Simpson. Ask that superhero actor guy. Look how quickly so-called justice catches up to you when you're black. And look how slow it is and how delayed it is and how unjust it is when you're not. Just my opinion. So what Jesus is saying there is be willing to compromise, be willing to settle. A real uh, anecdotal example of that is in my own life with the place I live now, the complex, the HOA I'm in. There's all kinds of repairs that need to be done to the complex. And there's some to my unit that need to be done. And last year, I stressed on it. Tried not to stress on it, but wrestled with it, dealing with it, with the HOA and all that stuff. And was going to take them to court and sue and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I thought about it and glad I did. Decided to just settle on it. Just let it go. Because after, at the end of the day, when you fight through all that stuff, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of heartache. You still may not win. You still may get a judgment against you. And at the end of the day, what are you going to do about housing? You see the housing situation in the country is crappy. <laughs> it's terrible. So... Thankfully, I took Jesus' advice and settled along the way rather than go all the way to court and end up with egg on your face. Anyway, I think that's what Jesus is saying. Be reasonable. Verse 26, assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you pay the last penny. So again, I think that's what Jesus is saying when it comes to things like court. Be willing to settle. And if you've ever been to court before, whether the plaintiff or the defendant, Generally speaking, neither side gets everything that they want. Even if you win, you still don't generally get the whole, um, the, 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 the judgment that you won. Um, usually there's a, it's diminished or there's an appeal or something, some sort of delay. So one way or the other, you don't get what it is you, um, you um, were awarded in court many times, not all the time. So anyway... It can pay to just settle. And in my case, like I've said before, the stress condition I have, I couldn't afford to deal with that and have to put housing situation on top of it all. And I'm glad I didn't. So anyway, that's um, that part of this part of the reading for today. Um, so now we'll move on to our passage of the day. And that's in red letter. It's red letter. Uh, it's Luke 1940. That's Luke. Chapter 19, verse 40, and it is our 26th passage of the day, if I remember right, if I'm enumerating them correctly. So Luke 19, 40, it is red letters, it reads, But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. So is Jesus um, saying that, um, it's Jesus responding to the religious leaders, like we were just talking about. They're confronting him again about the things his followers are saying, in fact, giving him praise. Not like they were giving praise to Herod before he was stricken down. Similar to that, though. They're praising Jesus. And um, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders hear that. And they're telling Jesus that he should rebuke them and shut them down for from saying stuff like that. Um, whereas, like we just read in Acts, isn't it for God to do that? If God wanted to, wouldn't God, if it wasn't true, wouldn't God have just stricken Jesus down right then? 
since the people are shouting, blessed is you comes in the name of the Lord. If he wasn't actually coming in the name of the Lord, if God were being consistent, wouldn't God have just stricken Jesus down right then? Just like the Herod got stricken down, like we just read in the book of Acts. That's not what happened. Um, the people are praising Jesus because they believe him to be the son of God, the presence of God with them. The same we as Christians, red letter Christians, I believe him to be. Um, and Jesus is saying there that if people chose not to give him praise, if the people did choose to keep silent and follow the religion or keep silent and not give him praise because they doubt him or keep silent and not give him praise because he's not God and he's a human walking around and they don't believe him to be God, whatever the reason, Jesus is making it clear. They don't have to. They aren't going to stop harassing for anything. If they choose not to give him praise, then Jesus is making it clear. They can be as quiet as they want to. God is able to make even the stones shout out and give Jesus praise if the people chose not to. So they wouldn't be stopping a thing. That's the passage of the day. And that one stands out to me to let, um, and as far as my Christian walk goes, um, partly because of that one and partly because of the next passage of what it is they be crying out. But um, but also because it lets, it, to me it says, that regardless of some of the things people can plot against you and work on against you, um, even family and friends and things that stab you in the back, it doesn't matter. It won't necessarily stop anything as long as we stay faithful to it is what it is our Christian path calls for us to do. Um, that's at least my understanding of it. And that's where we'll end this reading for this Naked Truth. Thank you for reading along with me. Hope it's a blessing for you. Hope your new year's going well for you. Mine's a mixed bag, but I can't complain. I'm here. Thank God. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.